Hey everyone, Dan Howard here at Gunnison St. Joe's with the GSTJ podcast. And if you've still got questions about the COVID-19 vaccines, maybe you're a little bit hesitant about getting them, uh, then stick around because on today's show, we're going to be talking with our doctor of pharmacy, Scott Larson, is going to be on the show. We're going to be talking about the vaccines and their safety and their efficacy and maybe debunking some myths about their development along the way. Do not miss this. Here we go. everyone welcome back uh joining me this month is our doctor of pharmacy scott larson scott how are you good good how are you i'm doing all right i'm doing all right uh finally getting a chance to talk about covid uh and covid vaccines this has been something that's been on my list for a while um so i'm happy to have you on the podcast to talk about it um but before we get into you know we asked for a bunch of questions we kind of did a survey of people that were hesitant about the vaccines and um, we have some questions to answer. But before we get into that, you and I have been in meetings almost weekly for almost a year, almost two years now, um, dealing with everything from testing to the infusions and now vaccines. Um, before we answer some of these questions, how has the pandemic been in your experience? What kind of things have you seen? Yeah, so it's been a year and a half, but it feels like five right? Yep. I think it feels like that for everybody, not just us. Um, but I think what's encouraging to me initially, when we first got started with this, this COVID thing that nobody really knew what it was, we knew it was a novel respiratory virus of some kind. But when we first got started, there was a lot of fear and a lot of unknown. And even though that still continues somewhat, we've really gotten our hands around it. And um, I think the part that I've taken some um, encouragement from is how everyone has kind of come together. Early on in this, I had colleagues from uh, the East Coast, the West Coast, sending us information, stuff that they learned about this respiratory disease. And we have really gotten our hands around it. And that's the part that kind of gives me some uh, confidence and some comfort for coming to work every day. So I think that's the part that I've taken away from this is that uh, we have come together for the betterment of humanity and to treat this thing. That's a really great way of putting it. Um, so let's talk about these vaccines. We've got three vaccines that are approved here for use uh, that we have here at St. Joe's, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and the J&J. Now, the Pfizer and the Moderna, those are the mRNA vaccines, and the J&J is what's known as a kind of a viral vector. Can you give us a quick overview of the differences in how these, these vaccines work? Absolutely, I can. I think before, and you and I have talked about this, I think before we even start, we should just do a quick disclaimer. Um, can we force you to get the vaccine? Can Dan and I force you? No, 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 that's that's not what we're here for. Um, we are here to just kind of educate, try and um, maybe uh, address some fears, some concerns. There's a whole bunch of experts that are talking about this exact same thing. Uh, you, you know, you can catch Dr. Fauci on TV, you can catch the CDC website, you can catch everybody to talk about the same thing that you and I are talking about now. But I think what we're going to try and do is just address this uh, as pragmatically and as thoughtfully as we can and um, just uh, open us up for questions as well. So that after this, if you view this podcast, 
and you think something we uh, said touched on something that you want to learn more about, reach out to us because that's what we're here for. I also want a, one other uh, quick uh, disclaimer, if you will. This information changes. Uh, you and I could end this podcast and there could be some new data that comes out. That's just the nature of this beast. What we'll share today is the stuff we know today, flat out. So uh, we'll try and keep this simple. We'll try and keep it short, right? Because um, I can talk on this for a long time. I do a talk called Medications and You, and um, I do it around the state. And uh, I have done that for many, many years. And that that basic premise kind of applies to these vaccines as well. Um, any medication has side effects. Um, it's just the way it works. And what you have to do is mitigate those side effects with uh the risks of why you're taking that medication, plain and simple. Everybody's different. Um, so having said all that, let's get back to your original question, which was the three uh, vaccines. So we, we know that most, most vaccines, when you receive your vaccines when you were a little one, um, a lot of our vaccines, we take a piece of the uh, infectious agent. We attach that to something like an adjuvant, what we call an adjuvant. An adjuvant is something that causes your body to react to that piece that we attach to it, causes your immune system to react robustly enough that memory cells remember that protein um, in the future when you're exposed, hence offering you protection. What mRNA does is mRNA vaccines, so the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, what they essentially do is they are giving your ribosomes, part of the cellular machinery, the information to make a protein that your immune system will recognize. It's the spike protein. You've heard this a thousand times on television. This coronavirus has spike proteins on it. So if we can manufacture ahead of time some spike proteins so that your immune system see those and it says, hey, don't recognize this, let's attack it. Then when the real virus comes into play, your immune system's already been primed, it attacks it. The viral vector vaccine, which is the J&J, the viral vector vaccine essentially uses a common cold-causing virus, an adenovirus, to inject those same instructions to the cellular machinery and, again, prime the immune system against those spike proteins. So, Probably more information than I needed, but nonetheless. No, that's great. Uh, so I guess one question that a lot of people have on has propped up with with this mrna is does it mess with your dna uh, good question good question and i'm not afraid to say that uh many of us uh in the healthcare industry had the same question you know we thought wait a second uh what does this mean you're doing uh ribosome and, and making things intracellularly or extracellularly tell us the difference no the the um the mrna cannot get at the nucleus of the cell so it does not affect um it does not affect DNA. And mRNA technology has been around for, I think, about 30 years. I was reading something about the the, the initial inventor of the mRNA uh, technology back in the 90s. Has any other mRNA vaccines been approved? And if so, what are they? No, not, not, not to my knowledge. Have they been approved for mass use in the U.S.? I know they were looking at mRNA technology for for Zika, um, for Ebola, um, and and interesting uh, that you bring up the original finders of this mRNA because uh, as you and I had spoken about before, there are Nobel prizes out there that people are vying for because this is uh, 
this is game-changing technology, this mRNA use. Um, but there are mRNA technologies that we have been using for cancers to help mark things and to help identify different therapeutic initiatives for different diseases. This mRNA technology has been around since 1989. So, I mean, this is really nothing new. The problem with this mRNA is that it's so fragile that we just could not inject it into the human body and have it do its job. Recall, it has to get to the cellular machinery to make these proteins. What we were finding is every time you'd inject this mRNA, the body would destroy it. Um, and that should actually, and, and I know we're going to get into this, but it should actually give some people some comfort when they talk about the long-term effects of this. You have to remember that when you put this mRNA in the body, your body immediately gets rid of it. Um, so the holdup with these vaccines was trying to find a way to make that mRNA stable enough so that it could stay in the body long enough to interact with the cellular machinery to make these proteins. That's where this technology has all of a sudden blown up because enough money and enough smart people, because this was a global initiative with billions of dollars, billions of doses at stake, that they took the best of the best from around the world and decided, hey, we got to figure out how to make this mRNA technology stable enough so that it can get to the cellular machinery and protect people. It's so fascinating. You know, I, every now and again, I just happen to have a conversation with you about vaccines and I learn something every, new every time. Um, good, good. So so let's dive into some of these questions about vaccines. Um, like say we, we did a survey with people who were hesitant and we wanted to get their questions and try and find some answers for them. Um, not to kind of sway them one way or the other, but to at least try and demystify some of this stuff. Um, so let's let's talk, let's dive into vaccine development. You know, the, I think one of the things that I hear quite frequently is that the vaccines seem to have been developed relatively quickly. Um, even I remember in the early days, Dr. Fauci had mentioned something. You know, that vaccines might not be around for two to four years because that was the typical cycle. Um, uh, so, but then you know the vaccines showed up in December of the same year. Um, what can you tell us about that process? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. Again, same questions that we as healthcare providers asked. We kind of thought, oh, wait a second, how did this vaccine all of a sudden come up on us and and it's exceptionally effective? I think the uh, frankly the effectiveness of it surprised even some of the developers how well it worked. Again, I think the kicker for that, to, for people to remember, is this was a global initiative. So we took the best of the best to work on this project. When it comes to emergency use authorization, and again, remember, this was a global pandemic. So when, when the FDA looks at something, a particular drug, and decides for the betterment of humanity, because of what it can see closing in with this pandemic, they said, we've got to do something. So they decided, yep, let's do this as an emergency use authorization while we collect data. I mean, uh, this morning I heard that there was um, there was over a billion doses administered. We know that there's well over 320 million doses. This is probably the most studied vaccine that we've ever had. So that's why we're anticipating the FDA to move forward and and do this do this process. And that's to give it that's to give it the full approval. Not and get rid of the, that emergency use authorization. It's you got be fully it. You approved. got it. That's pretty amazing. And I remember a few months ago, several months ago, you had explained how the vaccines were developed, and it was this kind of all hands on deck. It was like they picked the best scientists that had been working on, 
HIV and cancer. And they said, hey, look, this is a global effort. You guys got to just pause this for a moment. You're coming with us. And we're going to figure this out. And like, it makes me, it makes me kind of wonder, you know, could they do that with other things as well? Could they start to rank some of these global uh, health issues and really just put everybody's effort into one? It'd be amazing to see how quickly they could go through some of these uh, bigger diseases that we have. So even though um, you know we we went the vaccines went through all of the 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 stages that they should have done, I think there's people out there that still believe that we don't know enough about the the long term effects of these vaccines. And you kind of touched on it earlier. Is there any concern about long term effects of these vaccines? Things that are being mentioned of being things like infertility and stuff like that. From your point of view, does does any of that make sense? Yeah, I get asked that frequently, um, and I think it's it's a fair question. And I think what again, what people have to remember is that this vaccine, it 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 doesn't cure anything, right? We're we're not curing COVID with the vaccine. All this vaccine is doing is priming your immune system to fight this virus. It's not going to cure anything. Um, I hear I hear. Um, different people saying that, you know, that we're being misled, that this vaccine is going to cure the pandemic. What, what I think when someone says cure, what they mean is they're trying to stop this pandemic, to stymie it, to slow it down, you know, to keep this spread from continuing. It's not curing anything. Your immune system is what's going to stop COVID from making you sick. This vaccine is just to help your immune system. So the, remember what I had said about when you get this injection, that that particular mRNA is in this lipid coating, and it is trying to get to that cellular machinery to convince it to make some of these proteins to, again, remind your immune system what it's, what it's supposed to go after. After that, it is quickly degraded and eliminated from the body. So in terms of long-term effects, it's kind of tough to suggest there would be long-term effects because the protein that this is making is just that. It's just a protein that mimics the spike protein. It can't cause disease. So if I always look at it as well, we in in, uh, in the medical field, we talk about vaccines are kind of our best medicines that we've got. I mean, there's people out there that take medicines every day. Now, are there long-term effects for taking something every day versus you just getting a one-time vaccine? When I say that, people will then say, okay, well, maybe I do get a one-time vaccine, but what if I have to get it every year? That's still different than you taking a chemical every day. You know, so in terms of long-term effects, I mean, let's talk about some of the long-term effects of COVID. That's what has us even taking this. And again, remember at the beginning when I had said all medicines have side effects and you have to weigh the risks and the benefits. What we do is we look at it as, hey, if you have COVID, we are learning about some of these what we call long-haul COVID people that are having issues with their lungs. They're having issues with, with thought processes and they're having issues with sleep. Um, and that's not to mention some of the acute things like thrombosis or blood clots. So what we're trying to do is suggest that, yep, there are some risks with the vaccine. Short. We don't believe there are long-term risks, but can we 100% say no? No. But we can say, look how many people we've treated over how long. I mean, in fact, as you know, just this week, we have enough data now to suggest a pregnant breastfeeding women that this is safe. This is something you can do. This is something you can get to protect not only you and your family, but also to protect your newborn. 
So, I mean, in terms of long-term effects, um, we are pretty confident at this point that when you get that vaccine, it's eliminated. Uh, I also like to compare it with all your childhood vaccines. Tell me what effects you have from your childhood vaccines. Most of us don't even remember getting them. And that's because, again, you got them a long time ago. Your immune system has since remembered those vaccines. But the vaccine itself, that's gone. So we touched on there the long-term effects of the vaccines. Um, there has been some coverage in the press about certain short-term effects uh, from the vaccine, side effects, um, reports of myocarditis, um, which is kind of an infl inflammation of the heart material, um, with the mRNA vaccines and then clotting with the J&J &J vaccines. And it's important to know that the number of cases versus the number of vaccines that have been administered is incredibly low, but it still gets reported in the news, um, still gets covered. What can you tell us about these side effects, particularly things like myocarditis? Yeah, you're exactly right. Myocarditis is just that. It is an inflammation. Myo is muscle. Cardiac, cardis, cardiac. Um, itis, inflammation, so myocarditis. Um, we know that myocarditis, you can get that from a tetanus shot. You can get that from various viral illnesses. You can get it from a variety of different things. Um, we think that some people may have gotten myocarditis from one reason or another, just didn't know it. Because you can have myocarditis and it doesn't have to be clinical. It can be subclinical, meaning that you didn't even know you had it. You came in, for instance, uh, to the emergency room for something else and incidental to that visit, we found that you had myocarditis. The important thing about myocarditis is there's, um, the, and again, um, I'm citing data that is fresh today. Doesn't mean that tomorrow could be different, you know, or, or yeah, it could change. But I have it written down that it's about 12.6 cases of myocarditis per million of doses um, uh, given. So I always hesitant to I'm always hesitant to say you know that's that's a that's a small risk because if you're one of those 12.6 people who end up with myocarditis, you're going to look at me and say, hey, I don't care that a million people didn't get it, I got it. The thing about myocarditis is it's self-limiting, meaning that we basically, when you come into the hospital with that, do we do uh, surgery or intensive treatments? Typically not. Typically, we just give it time and it's self-limiting. It goes away by itself. A lot of it is just inflammation and your body kind of takes over and, and fixes that problem. A lot of the issues that you're seeing with both COVID and with the vaccines are due to a hyper, -immune, hyper response to the immune system. So thrombocytopenic thrombos or uh, thrombocytopenic thrombosis so what that essentially means is your platelets are low and your risk of clots is high that's what the j and j vaccine initially was found and they're, they're still trying to evaluate this as as we're talking about it that one is about 28 cases per 9 million vaccines so again low um but if you're one of those people I fully understand having hesitancy to that. So what we usually say is, if you have the opportunity to talk to someone you trust, if you're hesitant about the vaccine, come and talk to us. Talk to somebody that you can trust, who can look at your medication list, who can look at your medical history and say, you know what? You have some risks. Let's stay away from the J&J &J vaccine, but let's consider the mRNA vaccine or vice versa. Maybe there's somebody out there that would not fit the profile real well for an mRNA vaccine, but maybe we'd want to try one of the J&J. &J. The, the, the take home, if you take anything home from our talk today, it's that, you know, if you're still hesitant, talk to one of us, talk to someone that you can trust, 
who can kind of look at you specifically and specifically address your risks and your benefits. So you talked on there about the, you know, looking at your chart and your medical history. Is there any concern with these vaccines interacting with medications? Yeah, good question. No, um, there's there's certainly um, allergic reactions because recall, remember at the beginning of our conversation here, we talked about adjuvants and those adjuvants are things that are kind of attached to the protein or to the, in this case, um, adenovirus or to the um, messenger RNA um, to cause the immune response. And um, sometimes you need stabilizers, sometimes you need different things to be able to allow those adjuvants to work. Well, one of those things is polysorbate and polyethylene glycol, two chemicals that are kind of mixed in with the vaccine. If you have allergies to those items, that gets our attention. And so what we do when you come in to get a vaccine, we screen you for those. We ask, hey, have you ever been allergic to the following things? Sometimes people will say to me, yep, I'm pretty sure I'm allergic to that. Well, then I will look through their medication list and find out that they've already taken medications and have been for years that already have that content in it. Or I'll find out that there's vaccines that they have taken previously that have that content in it. Worst case scenario, we'll send you to an allergist and you'll actually be tested for an allergy against those two products. So in terms of medication interactions, none. Um, certainly, if you're immunosuppressed, you know, if you, if you want to call that an interaction, if you're immunosuppressed, prednisones, chemotherapies, those kinds of medications, what we usually say is it doesn't interact with the vaccine. It just may suppress your ability to get a nice, robust response that somebody who's not on those medications may, may receive. Um, so one of the... One of the main comments that I hear a lot when it comes to getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine is, and this is the one that concerns me the most, is I don't need the vaccine. I'm healthy. I'll survive it. Natural immunity is better uh, than taking you know, a vaccine that's uh, approved for emergency use only. And there are some people out there that are like, I had COVID. I thought it was allergies. I don't need a vaccine. What do you say? I mean, what do you say to that? Yeah, I, I actually like that question because if you, um, I, I can't disagree with you. I would never say that we are smart enough to come up with something that can outwit your immune system. I mean, that's, that's not our goal here. But what we know is that if you've had COVID, we don't know how severe, um, how, how significant your exposure to COVID was, meaning how long will your immune how long does your immune system remember that yes you had covid so in 6 months will your immune system remember that yep i had covid 6 months ago with the vaccine we know from data from 270 million doses in the united states that we will have immunity for at least 8 months we know that if you had covid we don't know that you'll have 8 months of immunity so what we usually tell people is we say, yep, you, you did have COVID. We can test it. And we found out, yep, you, you had COVID. But we're still recommending that you get the vaccine to boost your immune system. Um, just this morning on another webinar, we found out that people that have had COVID plus get the vaccine, they are twice as protected as those of us that have not had COVID and have only had the vaccine. So what that kind of tells us is just what we were what, what we are alluding to all along is that, yep, your, your immune system will indeed protect you from COVID after you've had it, but we don't know how long, nor do we know how robustly it will protect you. So what we're suggesting is, hey, 
if, if, if we can prevent you from getting these complications of getting the disease in the first place, let's do that. I mean, hopefully, if you are young and healthy, hopefully, yes, you will get COVID, you'll recover from it, and you'll have some immunity. But there's some hopeful, there's, you know, the word hopeful, and that uh, spooks me a little bit to tell people that. And recall when we talked about this earlier, a lot of the complications of COVID are from an overly robust reaction to the virus itself. So even though you're saying you're young and healthy, I would agree with that. You're so young and healthy that if your immune system overreacts, you might be one of those people that has complications from the disease that we're trying to avoid with the vaccine. Makes sense? Mm -hmm. And another, I guess, another common protest uh, that we uh, hear, particularly with the recent guidelines from the CDC um, and the Delta variant making its way across the country, people don't people are asking what's the point of getting vaccinated if i still have to wear a mask and be socially distancing what yeah. what do you say to that yeah yeah i i i mean you and i were talking about this earlier a little bit too um you know we had about around the 4th of july right we we had that brief moment where where people were kind of taking off their masks and indoor activities were kind of opening up we had a brief taste of that um and now this Delta virus or this Delta variant seems to be kind of closing the door again on us. I still like the the Swiss cheese, you know, analogy. And you, you, I think everyone that is probably hearing this is rolling their eyes because they've seen it a couple different times where there are different layers of protection. And like Swiss cheese, each layer has a small hole in it. But that hole is generally in different areas of the layers of Swiss cheese. So, you know, when you're when you're wearing your mask, yeah, we. And again, we've heard many webinars saying that the mask won't protect you against respiratory viruses. We're not saying it's going to protect you 100%. Nothing can. But if that if that mask can stop some of the virus from getting through, then distancing slows that down. Then um, um, the vaccine is one more. So again, we're just looking at layers of protection. And so I think we, we all need to be responsible. I don't think any of us are going to... Um, get up close to somebody who's unmasked, hacking, coughing, um, spewing whatever they whatever they are, are infected with. We all know that that's one easy way to protect yourself is to stay away from those people. Is that social distancing? I suppose it is to a certain extent. You're trying to just mitigate your individual risks. So getting the vaccine, again, not 100% effective. We know that. It can't be. But and, and that's that's kind of the the crux of your question a little bit, too, where, why people say to me, well, wait a second, I understand with this Delta variant, we're finding out that people that uh, had the vaccine are still getting sick. And again, the, the press has kind of somewhat uh, uh, altered that presentation a little bit. When they say breakthrough, to those of us in the healthcare industry, we look at breakthrough as, does that mean that someone got this Delta variant and ended up in the hospital and ended up with terrible consequence? Or does it mean that they felt a little bad, they went in for a test maybe for a pre-procedure and found out they were positive and then went, uh-oh, wait, I didn't even know I was positive. Is that a breakthrough? Well, in the strictest terms, yeah, you ended up with, with, with COVID, but you didn't even know you had COVID. And the reason you didn't know you had COVID is because your immune system protected you. And that's what that vaccine will do. 
if you if you have a breakthrough, then that could mean that a true breakthrough where you ended up being vaccinated, you ended up in the hospital with this Delta variant, then that could be because, again, because there's different people and different immune systems for one reason or another, the vaccine just didn't quite protect you enough. And hence why, as we speak today, um, we're looking at um, primary immunization consisting of three doses in, in immunocompromised, and they're looking at maybe eight months down the road, the rest of us also get a booster. And so ultimately, people who get the vaccine, they're increasing their, their, their chances of surviving COVID. It's, it's more about keeping you out of the hospital, off of a ventilator, and uh, reducing your risk of death is, is what this is all about. It's like what you said earlier, it's not about curing it, it's about reducing risk. Absolutely right. And we know all of those vaccines in terms of efficacy. Recall when Pfizer first came out in Moderna, they were purporting a 95% efficacy against COVID. Now time has gone by. Uh, the J&J vaccine came out and it kind of said, well, it looks like we're only about 70. And again, some of these percentages vary depending on who you speak with. But the general gist is that all of these vaccines are between 70 and 90% effective at, at um preventing severe COVID cases um, and keeping you out of the hospital. To us, that is a win. That is what we are after. Like you just reiterated, we said it before, we're not gonna cure COVID with the vaccine. That's not the goal. The goal is simply to keep you out of the hospital. It's, it's uh, similar to some other vaccines like the flu vaccine. Um, when, when we actually get the right combination of medications or right combinations of viruses for the flu vaccine, we can keep you out of the hospital. You might still get the flu, but you'll find it much more manageable. And that's the goal with the COVID vaccine as well. Mm -hmm. So the last question that I have um, is kind of a conspiracy question, um, but I wouldn't be doing my job uh, if I didn't ask it. Um, and I even saw this as well. So around May of this year, there was a trend on social media of people who had apparently recently been vaccinated and they were posting videos of magnets sticking to their arms um, in the arm that they just received the vaccine in, um, as and kind of suggesting that this was some way of you know implanting microchips or there was metals in these vaccines and stuff like that. Now, to the untrained eye, people would have been, I mean, everybody watches social media and they believe almost everything that they see. Knowing what you know about vaccines, what what do you think of this? Yeah, I, again, um, I take that stuff seriously. When people, when people um, use social media, they're going to find what they're looking for. If if you want to find on social media that COVID vaccine will give you and I our full head of hair back, we can probably find that in some way, shape, or form. I mean, if you're that's what you're looking for. So if you want to find things that um, suggest to you that the COVID vaccine is very dangerous, you'll be able to find that. And there are some very reputable, pe reputable people that have reservations, reputable and smart people that have reservations about these vaccines. In terms of the um, getting the vaccine and having a magnet stick, there's nothing in the vaccines um, that cause magnetism. I mean, if, I, if, if this was true, I could go grab a vial right now with, with much more vaccine in that vial than you're ever gonna get in your arm, I should be able to take a magnet and stick it to that vaccine. That's not gonna happen. There's just nothing in there that's magnetic. 
Um, a lot of times when people ask me this, I will say I can hang a spoon from my nose uh, and I could do that when I was three years old, way before the COVID <laughs> vaccine. So, I mean, I, I you know, I, I do see some people on social media that stick the magnet between their deltoid. You know, you have a natural crease between your deltoid and the start of your bicep. They'll stick that magnet and it will get kind of caught at the end of the deltoid. Um, I think I think when I see people with the magnets stuck way down low, I think whoever gave them their shot is probably horrified because anatomically we look for the right spot to give those vaccines. <laughs> so when people stick the vaccine way down low, whoever gave them that vaccine is probably horrified thinking, no, 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 that's not where I gave you the vaccine. In the first place. <laughs> but yeah, so nonetheless, yeah, I, I again, uh, different strokes, different folks, but I, 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 I really don't think there's any there's there's no no real rationale as to why a magnet would stick um, after getting the vaccine. But it is interesting that, you know, that that you would use social media to kind of talk about being tracked by the government, because that's kind of what social media is doing anyway. I mean, you, you just have to look at your phone if you're really worried about being <laughs> paying attention. I mean, there's a good chance that you and I are going to have ads on our phone about COVID vaccines after this podcast. It's it's totally true. You know, these people are posting these videos and saying, you know, look, the government's trying to track us and they're posting it on social media, which is actually tracking it. And they're not even they're not even shy about it because it's right there in the user agreement. You know, right. they're actually finding where they're going, who their friends are, what they're interested in. Um, so, yeah, interesting. It, 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 I've seen those videos and I've been like, yeah, no, I don't think that's I don't think that's true. I think you're just trying to get some likes and followers. Um, so uh so we've answered a lot of questions uh really appreciate you spending the time to uh to talk through some of these uh COVID vaccine questions um if you have got any questions about anything that you've heard uh, on today's podcast please drop them in the comments below and we'll be right back after this break thanks very much scott tired of waiting by the phone for test results Get the MyChart app for real-time test results, including labs, imaging studies, COVID testing, and more. Care at your fingertips. Download the app. Hey guys, uh, I just stopped down here in the pharmacy. We're in the pharmacy, our brand new pharmacy uh, with Scott. We just thought we'd test our uh, theory that with these, with these vaccines and their magnetism. Um, so Scott has a incredibly powerful magnet that he uses at home to hang kind of lights off and stuff like that. So we're gonna, right, we can actually prove that this is a magnet. So this is a magnet, this is a real magnet. There you go, really powerful. Um, and then we have, so we have the vaccines. So in these, in these vials, there's, uh, oh, there we go. So not only does it, not only is it magnetic, but it's, it, it's holding this wrench socket uh, inside of a beaker. So we're gonna test the, the vials. So in these vials, how many doses are in these vials? 10 in this one. There's 10 in this one. So this should be 10 times more. If the, if the magnet, if the magnetic arm conspiracy theory is true, this should be 10 times more magnetic. So let's, let's give this a try. This is Moderna. There you go. It's not even, it's not even sticking to anything. So there's Moderna. Uh, this one is uh, Pfizer. Uh, Pfizer. There's the little Pfizer. I'm going to give this a try. Nope, nothing sticking. And how many doses are in the Pfizer? Six. Six. So that should mean six times. And then we got the J&J. &J. 
tiny little change here. Um, and how many doses are in this? Five. Five. So this should have. So if the if the magnetic arm conspiracy theory is true, all of these should have stuck some somehow. So um, so yeah, uh, don't believe everything you see on the internet, unless it's coming from a podcast like this, with medical professionals like this. And uh, we'll be right back after this break. Want to save time at the clinic? Download the MyChart app. Complete registration information before you arrive, including questionnaires, insurance details, and account billing. Care at your speed. Download the app. Hey, welcome back. I want to say a big thank you to uh, Scott for joining us this month on the podcast talking about COVID-19 vaccines. If you have any questions about COVID-19 vaccines, definitely reach out to your primary care provider, either through my chat or by calling the clinic. You can call our clinics at 608-489-8000. And until next time, take care. We take it out. Let's lose it.